Christmas falls. Summer is here. Oh, welcome, welcome summer. The beauty days of summer. The kids are off school. The sun is out. So many fun things happening. Cottage time, vacay time. I'm on vacay myself right now. I am recording this intro from Abbotsford, B.C. A beautiful place. Very, very far away from Smith Falls, but I'm having fun here and looking forward to my return and all the fun things to do over this summer in Smith Falls. And some of that for me is going to include hanging out with my good friend, Mark Provo, who is joining me on the podcast today. Mark and I sat down a couple days before I left for my little vacay and chatted a whole bunch of things. He's a real interesting dude. That's what drew me to his friendship in the first place. Mark has been in Smith Falls for quite a while. He moved here originally to work at the OPP Dispatch Center. He's been a 911 operator. From there, he moved into the cannabis industry, where he was actually employee number 25 at Canopy Growth Corporation. Moving on from that, Mark has recently launched Insight Healthcare. They offer services for home care nursing throughout the Ottawa area. We talk about all those things he's done professionally and a lot more. So let's get into it, folks. But first, a little message about our sponsors. Sponsor number one, Howard Kelford and Dubois. Located in downtown Smith Falls with offices in Carlton Place as well, Howard Kelford and Dubois are the place to go for all your legal needs. Whether you're buying a house, drawing up business contracts, or maybe you got to take somebody to court. I don't know. They'll help you out. I can't offer you legal advice, but they sure can. Visit them at valleylaw.ca. Thanks so much for being a sponsor. Howard Kelford and Dubois. Sponsor number two is Andrus Independent Grocer. We are very proud to have them supporting the show. The whole season, the whole season they're on board. Thanks so much, Andrus Independent Grocer. Go there, get your groceries, wonderful produce, and great support of local products. Go visit them on Facebook, Andrus Your Independent Grocer, and check out this week's coupons. And last but not least, Say to Bakery. I stop there every morning that I can for a coffee and a scone, and there is so much more. They got lovely breakfast. They got these new surprise goodie bags. They've got this whole let's reduce waste kind of thing going on. I can't wait to pick one up. I think I'm going to get to try a treat I've never tried before. Visit them at the historic Rito Hotel. And that's it for Sponsor Talk, folks. Now I give you my conversation with Mr. Mark Provo. So, you shipped your daughter off with uh, Unky Bill? Uh, well, mom's home for another hour or so, and then oh. she's going to take over to Bill's place yeah, afterwards. Cool. Yeah, right on. What else you got on the go today? Hmm. Well, it's Jen's birthday, so she's headed, oh, out. Right. Yeah, of she's headed out to golf, so I'm on parenting yeah. duties the rest of the day after gotcha. this. Yeah. So when's she back from golf? What are you doing? Are you doing some birthday stuff? Uh, we did that today. Uh, she's uh, she's going to a golf kind of like ladies' night tournament thing, so she's mm-hmm. going to spend the night at her friend's place. Yeah. And uh, it's also her daughter, uh, my stepdaughter's birthday today as well. Um, oh. Yeah, Kaylee. She's going to uh, a concert at the CTC tonight. Cool. Yeah, so country show, I forget who it is. Eric Church, I think. Oh, I like Eric Church. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's okay. good. He's good. I'm uh, I'm very picky about my country music. Yeah, as am I. It's yeah. a very, very limited window of yeah. people. I like Eric all. Church, though. He's got, yeah. he's, got, he's got good songs, and he's got the whole country vibe without being like that whole like cartoon character country. It's like, who yeah. actually sounds like that? Thing is, actually, I think there actually are people who sound like that, but eh, it ain't my jam. The radio country ain't my jam. He's like the closest. No. Him and like uh, Chris Stapleton. Yeah, 
Yeah, I like Chris Stapleton. I'm I'm not big on the pop country. Yeah, you know, like the it, it's very. It, I I kind of equate it to like similar to the boy bands in the nineties. Yeah. You know, it's very formulaic. It's the same topic pretty much every yeah. song. I mean, it's interesting to me. Like I I I sort of I tend to shit on like radio country like twenty <laughs> thirty years ago in the nineties. Yeah. And now, like looking back, I'm like, man, I wish pop country was was <laughs> back. That I'll take Shania Twain and Travis Tritt over like some of the the bro country. It's like, how is this country? Yeah, yeah, it's I, just, I, it's just like hip hop with fiddles. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. Back in the day, like even in the '90s, like way down yonder in the Chattahoochee, that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Uh, he water skied in that music video, Alan Jackson, with a with a cowboy hat on. Wow! I wonder how much. I wonder what they had to do to was it fix I, that. I'm wondering if it was like a la Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, like them stapling it to his head. Yeah, they must. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. must have been some serious double sided tape, double sided tape in there. Some like some like toupee double sided tape. <laughs> yeah. So you're on a podcast. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming out and well, doing this podcast. Thanks for having me. I didn't even realize we had started. It's so seamless. Yeah. Yeah. I do that. You're do smooth, that. my friend. Yeah, you're smooth. Yeah. yeah. I've been recording the whole time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so this is like, this is a podcast about Smith Falls, but it's, I, mean, I would say it's more a podcast about the people of Smith Falls, of which you are one. I am. And one of the, uh, one of the first people I really got to know, I think, in this town when I moved here, we've been we've been friends for a while now. Yeah, it's been a few years. We almost yeah. lost you though. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, back and forth to Ohio for yeah. for about eight months there. Yeah, so um, you know, I, it was a little disappointing that it didn't work out, but at the same time, I'm a little bit relieved. Yeah, um, you know, I, I definitely missed the area and yeah. the friends. You yeah. know, so it's it's definitely good to be back full time. Well, we're glad to have you back. Well, thank you. you. Know, we're not we're not reveling in your misfortune, but we are reveling in ours. The return I, of Mark Provo <laughs> and Jen Provo. <laughs> I'm sure some people would disagree, but thank you. Well, <laughs> screw them. <laughs> so. I think you've told me before, you first came to Smith Falls, what, 20-ish years ago? Yeah, it would have been um, probably around 2002 or 2003. I got a job working as a 911 dispatcher for the Ontario Provincial Police, right. and I was living downtown Ottawa at the time, mm -hmm. working 12-hour shifts um, on a 2-3 schedule, so like two days on, three days off, yeah. and it just got too much. I, I actually almost fell asleep on the way home at the wheel uh, right. from a night shift. And at that point I decided, well, this is enough. It's time for me to relocate. Yeah. It's a pretty big commute. Yeah. So I've been in the area for, yeah, just about 20 years now. Yeah. And how long were you at that dispatch job? Is that the same? Is that like the dispatch that just got axed? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's the East region communications unit for the Ontario provincial police. I was there from 2000 to 2008. So I was there for about eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting work, uh, high burnout rate, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, serving the community and, uh, it was, it, you know, it was, 
um, long moments of boredom uh, populated by sh- moments of sheer terror. Yeah. So, <laughs> so were you like like the person on the other end of 911 phone calls? Yeah. Right. So uh, you alternate. You kind of do both. So yeah. uh, one night you might be taking phone calls from the public, and then the next night you're dispatching those calls to the police officers via yeah. radio. So yeah. you're handling communications for a specific detachment or yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. So I did both. So how when you get nine one one calls, like how many how many time? What's the percentage of like this should not have been a nine one one call? Um, it's actually you know fairly high. I would say probably. I mean, it's been a while. We're talking. I haven't been there since two thousand eight. Right, so, right. um, I would say probably between thirty and forty percent. And that was yeah. part of my job was identifying yeah. what required a police response and what didn't. Yeah. So what, when when somebody calls nine one one and they're like, "My neighbor's cat shit in my yard." <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you say to them? You're just like, this is not an yeah. emergency. Like, if you have a problem, call by law. Like, exactly. Uh, explain to them why it's not against the law or you know what the, the rules are the law is like you said by law uh, refer them to the proper authority and uh, if it's a 911 call you want to get them off the phone as quickly as possible so that you're right. not you know clogging up the phone lines now obviously there's several lines but yeah um you know like on a busy friday night all the lines could be lit up yeah of know? course so you want to get those people off the phone as quickly as possible so was there something at you you would do to actively sort of educate and deter them from ever doing that again and, and wasting your time? Are you allowed uh, to like tell them off? Yeah, it's definitely different from like I've worked in customer service yeah. uh, in call centers as well, and it's, it, there's definitely a different attitude. I mean, you still have to be polite and kind and professional. Um, you know, first call you just educate them, but if you know you get the occasional repeat caller who's trying to you know get a different person to get to solicit a response, and um, then at that point it's like okay well wait a minute here you're i've already warned you you're yeah. using a 911 line for something that's not an emergency if you keep doing this i'm gonna have to send police officers to your house to deal with you yeah you know yeah. it's gonna be a completely different situation from what you're hoping for yeah. so yep. you can see where they're calling from yep there's a display um so you see their address their phone number so on and so can forth. you like could they like triangulate cell phone calls so back in the day the technology i'm sure they probably can now yeah um but back in the day when it was a cell phone um it, they would show us the tower that it was coming off of and yeah. it was like a two or three kilometer radius within right. that tower, but yeah. it's in diameter. So you don't know exactly where the cell phone right, caller right, is right, calling right. from back in the day. Yeah. Which could be complicated at times. So we did a large section of the 401 and quite often you'd get people visiting Canada or new Canadians that would get into an accident and they'd be right. on the, I'd get phone calls like, Oh, I just got into an accident. I'm on the 401 somewhere between Toronto and Montreal. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> can you narrow it down a little bit yeah, for me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that could be problematic at times, but I'm sure the technology is much better now. So till 2008 yeah. and, and, Where'd you go from there? What happened next? Um, in 2008, I left the OPP and um, um, Jen, my wife, and I decided to move out to British Columbia. And um, This is a part of the story I've never heard before. Yeah. Uh, so we were out in BC for almost a year. I have family out there yeah. and um, we wanted to try something different. And um, she had been offered a position with the RCMP as a dispatcher out there. 
Mm. So we relocated out there. And unfortunately, this is back in the day before either one of us had cell phones. And in our mm-hmm. drive out there, the way it worked was the municipality sponsored the um, the funding for dispatch out okay. in, in the Okanagan. And uh, w- the week that we were driving out there, they cut the funding. So we showed up there and Jen didn't have a job anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So we, we stayed for just under a year. Um, and... Uh, uh, that's, I, I worked a couple of Joe jobs and ultimately, um, found my way into the cannabis industry out there. Mm. And that's where I got my start in the cannabis industry. Cool. So you, I've ne- I don't think I've ever fully understood exactly what your professional role is in the cannabis industry. I've heard things here and there. Yeah. And I know you were quite connoisseur that much that much i know yeah i'm a bit of a weed snob for sure yeah yeah so so what is your what is your exact professional expertise in the cannabis industry um well i've held a wide range of positions when i started with canopy i was actually um just like a customer service agent my experience at the opp and being bilingual i was um you know um taking phone calls from people yeah and um uh, it quickly progressed from there. I became the, uh, first product information specialist for canopy growth. Uh, in the beginning I was employee number 25 and in the beginning there were a lot of business professionals, but there weren't a ton of people in the administrative side that knew a lot about the products. Right. And, uh, with it being so new and with the medical program having just changed in 2014, uh, they needed someone who had experience with the product who could help recommend specific products for specific ailments or symptoms and depending on what you were dealing with. So I fell into that category and I was made the first product information specialist, which then eventually grew into uh, SME, which is subject matter expert. I was um, Canopy's first uh, cannabis subject matter expert for them. And then at that point, I moved over to learning and development. My role was basically to educate um, people in other departments in terms of, you know, we, we helped marketing, we helped sales, uh, we helped production. So to try to put out the best products, uh, how to market the products to mm-hmm. people, um, learning about the laws and what we could say about the products and what we couldn't say, and also helping production develop the best products possible. Cool. Yeah. So what kind of, how did they give you that? Did they just, you know, so much Were they just like, you know, so much about weed, like, or did you have to under like, what kind of training? How did you learn more? Did they teach you more? Or were you, they were ones coming to you being like, you know, so much already just teach the rest of these business people who don't actually smoke. (laughs) Yeah. What it means, what it is like, it was kind of like that. It was, um, we were so small in the beginning that the Mark Zakulin's office uh, at the time he was vice president, I believe. Yeah. Um, his office was right outside my cubicle, so he could overhear me speaking to people on the phone. Gotcha. Um, and he basically came to me and said, "Listen, we need someone who can deal with the tougher cases, with people who are you know really in a hard way, and um, you know, would you be willing to kind of take that over and uh, help people out in that regard?" And I, I've always been very interested in the subject, so. Yeah. There wasn't any training per se at Canopy, but I kind of trained myself. I mean, I already had previous knowledge from my time spent in British Columbia on production and those sorts of things. Right. And so, I, what was your job out in BC? Um, well, I worked. I, I started on a trim crew. 
Right. And um, I eventually worked my way up to production management, basically gotcha. overseeing production of, of large-scale crops. So you knew all about the growing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I really enjoy, that in, in helping people identify, you know, what they can, what types of cannabis they can use in order to help with specific ailments. Those are kind of my two wheelhouses. Hmm. Um, so once I was, you know, given the position as product information specialist, um, I just started doing as much research as I could. They afforded me some time to start digging and I also have a prescription as well. Um, so I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder years ago. And so through a combination of research and my own experience with the products, I was able to kind of translate that for people and, uh, and help people out. And then with production, when it, um, I believe it was like 2015 or 2016 when they allowed the home grow program, Yeah, my doctor was, um, really, um, open to the concept of me producing my own medication. Mm -hmm. So I, I started growing for myself and then having my own grow space legally allowed me to really tinker and experiment with the plants and see what worked really well and what didn't and to try out the research that I was doing on the internet and speaking to different people and so on and so forth. So it helped kind of, I'm, I'm kind of self-trained in mm -hmm. a way. I learned the basics out in BC, but the rest of it, I, I kind of taught myself. Yeah. So you still, you regularly grow at home then? I, I don't anymore. I had to stop yeah. when I was going back and forth right. uh, to Ohio. It gotcha. was just too much. Yeah. Um, and I just wasn't there enough to take yeah. care of the plants. So I'm not anymore. Uh, but yeah, it's something I'm very passionate yeah. about. I love to grow. So cannabis. if somebody were wanting to, you know, uh, use up that, that allowance that were allowed mm -hmm. at home, what is it again? Two plants? Or? Four. Four plants. Four plants. That's, that's yeah. a pretty decent it is. little crop. What are, what are the ins and outs of that? I mean, I could look it up on the internet, but yeah. like what's, if I want to do it, what's your advice about the best way to do it? For somebody who's just a casual user, let's say, yeah, um, who just likes the idea of growing their own. Yeah. Um, so the first thing to look at is your setup. Um, cannabis plants are the sorts of things that they don't like to be tinkered with a lot. They're a living organism. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you kind of set up for success. So a lot of the work is done on the front end. And, okay. uh, so it's identifying what you want to produce, how you want to produce it. Like, are you going to be growing for hash? Or are you going to be growing for, um, you know, just dried herb or, you know, like actual weed and then identifying the space that you have and then, um, you know, getting the gear that works within your space and that grow style that you're going to incorporate within that space. So, yeah. um, I typically recommend, you know, if you're going on a smaller scale to do something like a tent, they have some great grow tents that are specifically made for growing cannabis mm -hmm. that have, you know, ventilation holes already worked in and bars so you can hang your lights. And, uh, I'm a huge proponent on, uh, the use of LEDs. Okay. Um, it, you know, there's with the HPS or high pressure sodium bulbs, which are for the most part used, um, you know, there's mercury in those and they can get really hot and they can explode. So there's a danger factor and a fire risk with those with LEDs. Most of that is eliminated right. and, um, the, the technology now exists that the LEDs are actually far superior at, produ at producing trichomes and terpenes. Yeah. So you actually get a better quality of plant in my opinion, when you use LEDs as opposed to HPS. So. Um, you know, and if you're going on a larger scale, well then, you know, it requires more planning. Like if you're dedicating a room in your house to it, well then you got to consider ventilation, you got to consider humidity, air conditioning, all those sorts of things. And then ultimately the grow medium. 
Yeah. And uh, what you're going to be growing and obviously the food you're going to be giving the plants. So you you are all about indoor growing then. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, and again, this is my humble opinion. Uh, indoor cannabis is, is far superior to outdoor cannabis, especially in our climate. Right. It's very difficult to get a plant to, um, actually grow its full cycle. Most cannabis plants take between nine and 12 weeks during their flowering cycle. And because they're photosensitive, meaning that they flowering is triggered by the amount of sunlight that they receive every day. Yeah. So, um, in, in our area, typically cannabis plants, if you plant them outside, won't start flowering until, you know, the second or third week of August, usually, maybe the first week, depending on how much sunlight we're getting. Well, if you calculate eight to 12 weeks or nine to 12 weeks from there, you, you know, you're not taking your plants down until October. Mm-hmm. And then you're dealing with, you know, um, you're, you're, you could be dealing with bud rot because of how cold it's getting and how the, the moisture is being retained by the plants because it's not as hot. So the plants aren't drying out as well. Yeah. You know, the condensation that's built up on the plants overnight, you typically have to cover them. The other thing is too, is that from my opinion, uh, the terpene profile of a plant is much better when it's grown indoors. You can contr- it's all about controlling the environment mm-hmm. and the more you can control the environment, the, the better end product you wind up with. So, uh, I have grown outdoors, but I have not been able to get the quality or the, the taste, right. um, or the smell that, that I can get when I'm growing indoors. Yeah. I uh, had a friend who grew in his garden, just outdoors, mm-hmm. and he only had, I think, three plants, but they were quite large, mm-hmm. and they were really, really smelly. Yeah, yeah. His whole backyard just, and I didn't mind, because yeah. I find that to be a pleasant smell, but uh, I can imagine neighbors might not be happy it depends on your neighbors. Yeah. I have definitely dealt with some people that, you know, and some neighbors uh, don't appreciate it. I'm, I'm lucky I have great neighbors, but, yeah. um, you know, I have spoken to people whose neighbors have complained and those sorts of things. Are there um, rules about that? What can be done about an odor? There's not much that can be done, especially now with the law being that anyone can grow four plants. Yeah. yeah. So there's not really a lot. There's no, you know, there's no bylaw against it or anything like that so um, is are are there other for growing outdoors are there other rules like like if you're going to have four plants do you have to have a certain amount of space or do they have to be a certain amount of distance from other domiciles or anything like that uh not domiciles but there are regulations in regards to like how close to a school uh you are those sorts of things yeah um but no in terms of like on your own property it's private property so as long as you're respecting the four plant limit you can grow giant trees that is one of the advantages to growing outside is you tend to get more volume per plant because you you, you're able to grow larger plants right right? so when you're growing indoors unless you've got like 12 or 14 foot ceilings you're limited in Mm -hmm. how much space you have so you tend to grow it's it's easier to grow indoors if you have a prescription and you can have a higher plant count because the plants tend to be smaller so you need to grow more plants in order to get the same amount that you would off of four plants outside So be it indoors and outdoors, I've never, I've never properly absorbed the rules here. I feel like there's like, what are the, like, I feel like it's trying to understand a bee colony <laughs> in terms of understanding the way like cannabis plants replicate or seed or yeah, like, so, cross pollinate or like, 
if I want to grow four plants, do I just do I just have to get four seeds and, and plant them? I know there's a lot of other fancy yeah. gear. Let's say I have yeah. the fancy gear, yeah. or maybe just say I'm growing outside or yeah. inside, whatever. Do I just grow from a seed? Do I get seeds, or do I grow one plant and then I need to like cut and, yeah. and clone? So what's you can, that all about? You can do either or. Uh, you can grow from seed, but uh, seeds don't always necessarily what we call pop. They don't. Mm. So you will run in. Typically, it's about an eighty percent success rate with seeds. So if you're going to, you know, plant four plants, I would suggest germinating at least like six, five or six seeds because some of them might not actually germinate. Uh, the other way is to take clones, which is so. To, what if, what if I have two seeds that grow in one plant? Well, they like. Well, like in one pot, rather. Yeah. Like, will they just sort of find their way together and grow into one plant? Will that uh, be considered one plant? Or no, that-, that would still be. You'd still have two main stems, so you would. So that's how they have- count them by the main yeah. stems. Yeah. So you'd want to split those apart and pot them into into separate then, pots. And then if yeah. you wind up with more than four, you just have to like sacrifice. That's right. You have to kill them off. Right. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is too, is you wouldn't want to put two plants into the same pot because then they're going to be com- competing for space within the root zone. Right. right. So, and the health of the plant is determined by the quality of the root zone. Right. So mm-hmm. the more space you're able to give them, especially growing outside, the more space that they have for the roots to propagate, the larger the plant you're going to get. That's how you can control the size of the plant. So yeah. when I'm growing indoors, I'll use like a two gallon pot, which limits the size of the plant. So mm-hmm. typically my plants are between like three and four feet tall. I also do other things like, um, you know, topping them and things like that to control the size. It's like you're binding their feet. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And you're limiting the amount of space that they have in their roots. And when you're indoors too, you can control when the flip occurs. So you're controlling how much light they get. So my lights are on timers. So when the plants get to a certain size, I can trigger flowering immediately, which is another bonus to growing indoors is you have absolute control Mm. over how long it takes for the plant to, to come to completion. Right. So you can trick them. You can trick them. So when I'm indoors, I'll typically, the vegetative stage will only be about a month. Whereas, um, you know, if, if you grow outside, typically you would plant around the beginning of June or late May if, you know, if there's not going to be any more frost. So you're going to get a larger vegetation period, which will result in a larger plant, but also a longer growing time. Mm -hmm. Whereas it'll, it only takes me about three months to go from seed to, to trimming. Whereas outside you're looking at four to five months Mm -hmm. because you're at the mercy of the sunlight. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it it is, I, I prefer that because I guess I'm a bit of a control freak Mm -hmm. (laughs) regarded. Uh, you have a lot more control over what the plant's doing indoors. So let's say I wanted to max out my quality and, and control of environment but then also wanted to flourish the biggest plants possible. Can I start them inside and move them outside? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you have, well, they do, you have to acclimate them. So, uh, I wouldn't take take them on walks. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't take a plant that's been growing indoors and just put it outside and leave it there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have done that in the past where what I'll do is I'll take a plant that's indoors and then you set it out in the sunlight for like an hour and then Mm -hmm. you bring it back in and then the next day you do two or three hours and then Mm -hmm. you bring it back in and then till it's acclimated because the sun is far more intense than an LED. So, um, plus you're dealing with other environmental factors like bugs, 
the wind, those sorts of things. Whereas when you're growing in a sealed tent or a sealed grow room, it's a lot easier to control any pests or, you know, um, any other environmental factors like the wind, rain, obviously they never get rained on. So yeah. the, the plants that I grow indoors, the leaves never actually get wet because you're, you're only watering the roots on, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, there's a lot less likelihood of getting mold and those sorts of things indoors if the environment is dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get them used to it. You got to warm them up. Mm-hmm. You got to ease them into the experience. You got to ease you them in. Just, you they're, can't just, it's not sink or swim. No. They'll sink. They're delicate ladies. Yeah. yeah. You definitely have delicate to Delicate flowers. Them in. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if I were going to do that, how long would I grow want to grow them inside? And when would I want to put them outside? Well, it depends on how big of a plant you want to grow. So, I mean, you big could- Big as possible. As big as possible. So, I mean, you could start- um, you know, in January or February, depending on how much space you have for veg room in your house and then yeah. move them out and you could have like trees. I've how se- big would they get by, by harvest time? Oh, I've, I've seen plants around here. Uh, I have a friend specifically that I used to work with that he grows like eight, 10, 12 foot trees. Like they're huge yeah. bushes. Yeah. Like they're, um, one year by the end of the season, when he was time to harvest, they were taller than a shed. So, um, you can grow humongous trees and obviously there's some things you have to be careful about. I mean, the bigger it is and the more dense it is, the more likelihood of, of butt rot and mm-hmm. mold and those sorts of things. So you have to prune them and take care of them daily and make sure that there's, you know, adequate airflow going through them and that sort of thing and make sure they dry out properly. But yeah, there's really no limiting factor. Um, so do you want it with an outdoor plant like that? Would you want it to dry out on the plant or you want to pick it and then dry it? What's that whole process? So you wouldn't want to harvest it when it's super wet. So yeah. if it's out doors and it's rained, I would let it sit for a couple of days and let it dry out a little bit before you harvest it. Yeah. And then, but you're not trying to like dry it out on, no, on no, a plant. No, not completely because then no. you could kill the plant, right? If it gets too dry. So the concept is, is that you want the canopy or the leaves and the flowers to be dry, but the root zone should always remain a certain level of moisture. There should always be a certain level of moisture with yeah. it. Do the plants survive the winter or do you just replant again? No, they're, they're not perennials, they're annuals. So yeah. you have to replant every yeah. year. So what they will do though, is that if, if you grow to seed, so if the plant turns from Aphrodite or uh, if you let them go long enough, they will self-propagate in that the flowers will start to grow seeds. The seeds will drop to the ground and then some of those seeds will take and you'll get new plants next year. Right. The problem with that is that once a plant starts to grow seed, it stops putting energy into trichome development, which is where all the cannabinoids are. I see. So you'll get a lower level of THC, CBD, uh, a lower level, a lower terpene profile if it starts growing seeds because it's investing energy into reproduction as opposed to, um, you know, producing uh, cannabinoids. So the... The trichomes and those sorts of things are actually a defense mechanism uh, that the plant produces when it's trying to grow seeds. So the trichomes are sticky Mm -hmm. because they're trying to attract pollen from male plants. So the pollen will stick to that and then, you know, uh, pollinate it and then grow seeds. Mm -hmm. But if you deny uh, the pollen to the plant, it will continue to produce. It puts extra lipstick on. It puts extra lipstick on to try to attract a male. Uh, and then that's when you get the highest amounts of THC and CBD. So it's called sensimilla, which is basically you're denying the plant any pollen so that it'll produce a maximum number of, of cannabinoids that that plant can genetically. And gotcha. every, every plant is different genetically. So depending on what you have, the quality of the, the reproduction, the quality of the breeding, that all comes into play. 
You're making it thirsty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you view cannabis as uh, very much a a medicine then? I do. I mean, both. It's medicine and recreational. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've, because I used to deal with thousands of patients uh, at Canopy, uh, I've heard some amazing stories as to how cannabis has changed people's lives. And I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced it firsthand, um, you know, and using it to, to treat my own ailments and symptoms. So yeah, absolutely. It is a medicine for sure. I mean, everything can be abused, right? So there, there's definitely a fine line at times. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it it absolutely is a medicine. All right. I'm going to put you to the test then. Okay. Going to be, this is not medical advice, folks. This is general (laughs) recreational advice okay it's not medical advice disclaimer we are not doctors we are not we are not doctors folks um but um let's say i'm this is my first time okay never done it yeah never tried it but i get sore necks okay from i don't know arthritis let's say in my neck what should i try um, well, being a new, uh, new to the product and, uh, having arthritis, I would recommend something with a blend of THC and CBD in it. Um, preferably more CBD than THC. Mm-hmm. Um, CBD will help, um, reduce some of the swelling and, um, the THC, uh, THC I think is underrated when it comes to its medical component. There's been a lot of, you know, advertising that CBD is really where it's at. Yeah. Um, you know, getting high is part of the medication, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with forgetting that you have an ailment for a couple of hours, you yeah. know? So, and that's so, but you don't want to get someone, especially someone who's new to the product, really scared, right? Yeah. If you get them too high, then, you know, it's like, it's like the first time you drink, you know, it's better for you to have a couple of sips of beer as opposed to three shots of whiskey, yeah. right? So you want to start you know, low and go slow and um, making sure that the serving size, quote unquote, is suitable for your tolerance level. Mm. Treat yourself like a delicate flower. Absolutely. And ease yourself into it. Yeah. Acclimate it. That's right. Don't smoke a whole joint the first time you try it. You know, like that, that's not an adequate serving size. Have a puff, put it out, wait 15, 20 minutes, see how the effects yeah. are for you. Yeah. You might find that one puff is enough. And if not, uh, then light it up again, take another puff or two and then put it out again and be patient and let it, yeah. let it, you know, take effect before, because that, that's where most people run into the issue is, mm-hmm. um, they either over medicate the first time because you don't feel it right away as soon as you consume. Right. Or the other big issue is that a lot of people won't, um, work up the courage for lack of a better term to try it until they've been maybe intoxicated or have a few beers or, right. you know, using something more familiar and then their guard is down a little bit and it's like, Oh, I'll try this. Well, that's really a bad idea. Yeah. Um, it, it'll increase the intensity of, of, of the product whatever it is that you're smoking. And that's when you tend to experience things like greening out, you know, yeah. um, potential for dizziness. Uh, if it's really bad vomiting, those sorts of things. So, you know, it is a medication, but it needs to be used properly like every other medication. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So let's say I have really bad anxiety. Yeah. And I want to try, um, I want to try some cannabis to help me with that. 
Yeah. Again, folks, this is not medical no. advice. This is friendly conversation <laughs> about personal anecdotes and experience, not right. medical advice by not doctors. That's right. I am not a doctor. I did not go to medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I would recommend something with a low amount of THC um, because uh, high amounts of THC can produce anxiety mm-hmm. or um, you know, give you heart palpitations, make you feel like your heart's going to beat out of your chest. And then if you're not used to the product, the mind starts racing, and, yeah. you know, you start getting worried what's going on. I'm going to have a heart attack mm-hmm. and that just, you know, uh, self perpetuates itself. So, um, you want to use something with a low amount of THC again, probably something with CBD because the CBD will help mitigate the effectiveness of the THC. So the mm-hmm. studies have shown that CBD helps to reduce, um, the effects of THC. So if you, if you find something that's, you know, you want to, anybody who starts, starts out or wants to deal with these things and don't have any experience, I recommend, you know, between five and 10% THC and, you know, at least 5% CBD, if not higher. Mm -hmm. And then again, um, you know, using a smaller dosage and seeing how, how you react to that. Um, yeah, so uh, it, that's pretty much the key for you for new consumers is yeah. just making sure that you limit the amount of THC in the yeah. product. When it comes to like there's a lot of discussion, sativa, indica, those sorts of things. It's actually been disproven. There's there's not a lot of difference in the plants. So yeah, I didn't think so. People always ask me that, and like I don't care. I yeah. don't notice much. Like I will not. Like I can notice a difference between different strains. Yeah, you know, and sometimes. I'll, I'll think, wow, this is, this one's a little different in this way or that way, but I've never chalked it up to hybrid versus indica versus sativa. Yeah. I've heard all the, like the, the acronyms and the mnemonic devices to remember like what, what is supposed to do what. And I don't know, man, I've never really bought it. There's too many variables and it also depends. Every, everyone has an endocannabinoid system. Yeah. It was discovered by Dr. Raphael Machulam and so the way you react to cannabis is personal because it depends on your endocannabinoid system and the cannabinoid receptors that you have and those sorts of things. So it's impossible to predict how a certain type of cannabis is going to react with an individual until they try it, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that turns some people off because there is some trial and error involved, right? You might try one. It doesn't work for you. It gives you heart palpitations or it didn't have the desired effect. That doesn't mean that there isn't another product out there that will work better for you. It just means that product wasn't right for you. Yeah. And the whole concept of indicas make me sleepy, sativas make me, you know, uh, keep me awake. That has more to do, in my opinion, with the terpene profile than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, something with D-limonene that might taste like orange, smell like oranges or lemons, um, that is less of a sedative. Whereas something that's high in myrcene, which is another terpene, um, will typically... Um, be more of a sedative. And that's where people kind of confuse the two. There, there was an error with the individual, the botanist that, that classified the cannabis plants, named them sativa and indica. Yeah. Uh, this was back in the mid to late 1800s. And uh, sativa in Latin actually just means cultivated. So when you say something is sativa, technically everything that comes out of every producer in the country is cannabis sativa because it's cultivated cannabis. It's grown gotcha. by people. It's not grown in the wild, yeah. right? And indica was supposed to mean that it's you know originated from the area uh, in India. 
Um, whereas we're finding now that there's more truth to the classification of calling what we would typically call indica afghanica okay and and calling what we call sativa more indica because so the plants that we consider sativa are typically from southeast asia okay so they're actually more appropriate labeled appropriately labeled indica and the plants that we currently call indica they tend to come from morocco afghanistan those sorts of places or drier climates mm -hmm. And uh, they're more appropriately labeled, um, uh, um, sorry, Afghanica mm -hmm. as opposed to Indica. Um, so th there, there's definitely some confusion in regards to the labeling system when it comes to the various, you know, different types of plants. And there's a third classification called Ruderalis, which originally. Yeah, I heard about the third one. Yeah, so that originated in northern climates in Russia, and yeah. what that's also known as autoflowering plants. So they get you know limited amount of sunlight. So these plants learn to grow really small, and after a certain period of time, to, independent of how they're not photoperiod sensitive. Okay. So it doesn't matter how much sunlight they're getting; they'll automatically switch into flowering after a certain amount of time, depending on what the genetics are. Mm -hmm. And those are ruderalis plants or autoflowering plants. So there's actually technically three types. Yeah. So do they? those that third kind does it grow good weed not uh, some depending on the breeder i have seen some that are really good but for the most part they tend to be a lot lower in thc and cbd and the terpene profiles don't tend to develop as well because they're not grown for as long um in my experience a lot of them tend to be a little spindly they don't yield a lot so you're better off using a photo period plant if you're growing for yourself right, than right, an right. auto flowering plant now that being said, if you're growing outdoors and with our limited flowering time in our climate, sometimes autoflowering plants can be preferable because uh, you're likely to be able to get two cycles of autoflowering plants out of a summer here, than, whereas a photoperiod plant, you're only going to get one cycle. So with an autoflowering plant, you, depending on when you're able to put them outside, you could ostensibly get eight plants done four at a time over mm -hmm. the course of a summer as opposed gotcha. to just growing four plants. But again, they're going to be a lot smaller than a photoperiod plant would be. Now, can you hybridize these autoflowering plants with the other ones? You can. Uh, so you can cross-pollinate them. That's a little bit more of an advanced technique. Um, you know, breeding cannabis plants is a whole other area of expertise that most people don't get into because yeah. it can be complicated. And doing so outside can be difficult. Uh, cannabis pollen can travel up to 30 kilometers. Yeah. So that's another thing with putting them outside is that you risk your plants being pollinated by, so say your neighbor has a male out and doesn't recognize that they have a male, yeah. um, they could actually pollinate your plants. And it could be someone 25 kilometers away that has a male. And if the wind's just right, it could blow the pollen onto your female plants and you'll start growing seeds. Hmm. So it's another disadvantage to growing outside. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what's cloning all about then? Is that just as easy as taking trimmings and replanting them and they grow new roots? It's, it's basically, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it's basically it. So you take like a branch or a part of the plant that has new growth on it and typically you'll dip. Um, so you'll cut it off. You want to identify first and foremost that you have a female plant. And then um, you take a piece of that female plant, you dip it in a rooting hormone, and then usually you'd have to keep it in an area that's in really high humidity uh, and keep it away. They're very delicate at that point in mm -hmm. time, but if you treat them properly, they will eventually grow their own roots and mm -hmm. turn into individual plants, which are uh, genetic 
copies of the plant that you took them off of. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the advantages to cloning is that you're going to get basically the exact same plant that you clipped it off of. So if you know you have a female that does really well for you, that you like the terpene profile, like the cannabinoid content, it's a way to keep that plant alive over several generations. Mm. So does it, is there any generation loss there? There can be over really, the course eh? of time. Yeah. yeah. So like a photocopier. Yeah, uh, exactly. So they're, because they're annuals, not perennials, um, you will see genetic degradation over the course of time. Now we're not talking like one or two generations. We're talking like 15, 20, 25 generations down the road. But mm-hmm. I have personally seen it where there's genetic degradation in a plant, um, over the course of time because they're not meant to be, you know, that, you know, that, that DNA isn't meant to be kept alive for years and years and years. So how do, how do these big producers now that are like really investing in specific strains? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that was one thing I noticed about, about canopy. They, their, their, their whole strategy was not to go to market with an overabundance of selection, Mm -hmm. but rather say, you know, we have six, I don't remember what their exact number was, was six or seven that they like really focused on and gave them fancy names and, and yeah. So, so if they're investing that heavily, heavily in those, how, how are they combating that genetic? Are they like introducing little hybridizations? Um, so there, there is research and development, obviously, mm-hmm. and they, they do research, um, you know, doing, creating new strains and, uh, pollinating and those sorts of things. Um, but, uh, for the most part, they, they have a mother room or like any other grower. I'm, I'm not talking canopy specific. Um, uh, typically what you would do in a large scale operation like that is you would have what's called a mom room. Yeah. Which is a vegetative room where the lights stay on typically between 18 and 24 hours a day. So those plants never go into flowering. So you just clone off of those plants and then the plants that are cloned um, get put into ve- the vegetative stage to grow a little bit and then those plants are flowered. I see. So are you avoiding that genetic deterioration if you're always just keeping that mother alive and because you're not to copying and copying and copying that well to an extent because eventually you do have to replace that mother and right. how, so what's the lifespan of a mother well i mean you can i know of a plant in uh, las vegas so there's a strain called lemon skunk yeah. that was developed by dna genetics and the mom uh is over 20 years old okay so but to keep a plant alive and healthy that's that old takes a lot of skill and a lot of dedication right and, um, it, that's, it's not something that's typically done. Usually after a while, the moms do get tired, right? They, there's no specific amount of time because it depends on the plant. Some plants you can keep alive for years and then other plants, you know, you're looking at, you know, a year and then you got to switch out the mom or even less. Right. Um, but in my opinion, you know, responsible, um, you know, cloning, you're going to want to switch that mom out for a fresh mom, probably every three to four cycles. But the, again, that depends on the quality of the plant and how it's performing your environment. There's so many variables involved. It's hard to give you a, a steadfast rule that applies to every type of cannabis mm-hmm. because yeah. they're all different. Yeah. yeah. Some plants, like I said, love staying alive for long periods of time and others, you know, they have a limited life cycle. So, and those generally, you know, um, 
aren't used as much by, you know, part, part of what larger companies do is they're trying to identify plants that are stable, mm -hmm. that will be able to produce regularly at a large scale with minimal maintenance, right? So um, it's about identifying the plants that are able to perform on a commercial scale. Yeah. So you're a Buddhist. I, I am. I am. How long, when did you come to that? Um, it's been probably, uh, I would say around 23 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, but, uh, you know, not wanting to offend anyone, it just didn't fit for me. Mm -hmm. So I started looking into alternate, I've always been very spiritual, um, but, uh, Christianity just didn't fit my ideology. So I started looking into different you know, spiritual ways. I looked into, um, you know, uh, shamanism and various indigenous, um, spiritual practices. And, um, I found that, uh, Taoism as well. I looked into Confucianism, but I found that those things all lacked the active component of compassion. And, uh, I picked up a Buddhist text one time, just kind of in passing to see, Hey, it was actually a magazine that I got a chapters. It was a I think it was called Chambala magazine. Okay. And I read the first article and I knew just from reading the first article, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. Mm -hmm. um, it's about taking personal responsibility. It's not really a religion. It's called a religion, but it's really more like applying cognitive behavioral therapy to oneself, mm -hmm. identifying your thoughts, identifying why you think that way, identifying what the root causes of those things are and trying to eradicate that so that you can become a better, kinder, more compassionate person. So as a, uh, you know, a lay person, non monk Buddhist, that's right. What is that? What else does that mean for you? Like on a, you know, I, 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 I know enough about Buddhism and I studied it a little bit in my yeah. world religions class in high school. And yeah. I mean, I, I can admit it certainly had an appeal yeah. to me too. Cause it, it was certainly, I always found it to be less about, um, the otherworldly. Yeah. Um, although there's, there's mention to that. I always, I, I, I think I liked the humility of the sort of attitude of like, yeah, that, that's all that stuff, but that you'll get to that. Yeah. Almost, you know? Yeah. Right now you're here and these are the things you need to focus on. But, but for you day to day, aside from, you know, living with a particular ethos. Yeah. And is there, are there any like rituals or, no, or, or I don't, uh, I'm not regimented practices I mean, you undergo some, there are different types of Buddhism, you know, there's Theravada, there's Mahayana, there's Tibetan Buddhism, there's, you know, depending on the region, basically they're regional based. Mm -hmm. And, um, there is a lot of ceremony involved in some of them. I don't practice that really at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm kind of a lapsed, uh, my meditation practice is somewhat lapsed. I definitely need to get back into that. Um, but it, it's basically just to me a way of thinking and trying to take personal responsibility. Now I'm, I'm certainly not perfect. I make mistakes, you know, um, but it's about recognizing those mistakes and, uh, how your way of thinking contributed to those mistakes and doing your best to not put those issues onto other people. Like I said, you know, I, I make mistakes. I still get angry. Um, you know, I, I, 
uh, you know, there's, there's, there's always, it's always a work in progress. It's never, you're never actually going to, there's no end goal. It's about the journey, not the yeah. destination. Yeah. So, um, in terms of personal practice, it's really just about a way of living and a way of, of looking at oneself and trying to do the least amount of harm to the people around you that you can and trying to be honest and supportive when people come to you. There's uh, one of the big tenets in Buddhism is not to, you know, there's no preaching. I'm not, I, I shouldn't be going around telling people you should live your life this way. You should live your life that way. So it's non-evangelistic. That's right. But I sh uh, I'm also taught to be open to it, that if someone approaches me and asks me that I should, you know, because they're inquiring, that means they want to know. So then I should be open to having that discussion with those mm -hmm. individuals and being open and honest. And it's also to me a lot about tough love. You know, it, you really have to be brutally honest with yourself and, um, it's, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, we, you know, I, for one, I, you know, lie to myself a lot because feelings of guilt or, you know, not wanting to face the inner demons. And, and that's where the courage, um, comes through is mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you can never move around those things. You got to try to push through them. So, I mean, I, I know, I, th I feel like I, I know a fair amount about Buddhism. I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but let's say I knew nothing. Yeah. Let's say I knew nothing about it. And, and you were trying to explain it to somebody who's maybe more used to the little more standard, uh, you know, spiel that you might get about a religion. You know, yeah. I could sit here and say, well, Christians believe that, uh, Jesus did this, died yeah. for their sins. Uh, there's these 10 commandments and these seven sins and, and, and wrap it up into a bow and, and d describe it in 45 seconds. We got, I got a couple lists. I got a, you know, yeah. out outlining doctrines. They go to church on Sunday. They celebrate Christmas. They do this. They believe this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to give that very, uh, unnuanced, an oversimplified sort of, you know, intro card of Buddhism to, to somebody who's never even heard of it before. Mm -hmm. What would I say? Yeah, what do you say? Uh, I think I would start by saying, pardon me, that there's no monotheistic deity. So there's no, there, there's some confusion in that people think that Buddhists worship Buddha. Yeah. And that's not, that's not what it is. So they revere him. To revere him, um, his teachings are, are vitally important, and ultimately he's the one who started the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But basically, um, it's the understanding that suffering in life is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Suffering is a part of life. So trying to avoid suffering is useless because it just leads to more suffering. There's actually a word for it. It's called samsara. So it's, it's cyclical. You know, you, you avoid the suffering, you, you, you indulge in, in things or a way of thinking that, tr that you think will avoid the suffering, but ultimately that suffering just keeps circling around until you actually face it and deal with it and, and acknowledge the root causes. That's why money can't buy happiness. That's right. And, um, the concept that there, there is no, such thing as a source. I mean, other than physical, I mean, you can have external suffering and then if I get hit by a car, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer. Yeah. But when it comes to emotional or spiritual or intellectual suffering, that it's all actually caused by ourselves mm -hmm. and that it's all about our perception and the way we look at things and the way we look at ourselves that causes that suffering. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about being introspective and it's a, and ultimately if I were to describe it in two words, it's about being loving, loving kindness is, is a common term used is that it's not just about being kind. It's about 
being, you know, loving with other people as well and being respectful towards yourself and towards other people. Um, you know, and just, just a way of thinking it's, it's, um, taking personal responsibility as much as you can. And, and like I said, it's a journey. Uh, I'm definitely not a Buddha by any sense yeah. or any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's constantly a work in progress. And, uh, you know, if I were going back to that analogy again, if, if I were to describe Christianity to somebody or, or, or any other religion, I can usually, well, I'd be like, well, they have a, there's a Pope yeah, or there's an archdiocese yeah. or there's a, there's, there's a, there's people, there's people with authority within religions. And, yeah. and that is, that does have some truth for Buddhism as well. Cause there is a Dalai Lama. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, so what's that all about? So the Dalai Lama is a Buddhist belief we're some Buddhists, not all, but Buddhists believe in reincarnation. So the Dalai Lama is the 14th reincarnation of the Buddha of compassion. So he's not someone to be worshipped, but someone who should be recognized as a spiritual teacher mm-hmm. and um, revered in that he's achieved a certain level of, of thinking and love and kindness and understanding of the concepts that he's in a place to teach others. And when it comes to reincarnation, um, the belief is, is that he has pledged to continually reincarnate and come back, uh, in order to try to help people have these understandings. So he's a, a Mahayana Buddhist, uh, which is a form of Tibetan Buddhism, which believes that, um, you, Learn to end suffering within yourself so that you can then teach others how to end suffering within themselves. And he's pledged to continue to reincarnate until he's ended all human emotional suffering. In that end of suffering, is that what would be referred to as enlightenment? That's right. It's having a level of understanding where um, there's nothing that can happen within your life that will disturb the peace that you've built up or because of the understandings that you have. And by that, I mean like understanding why anger arises, understanding mm-hmm. why sadness arises. And there's, you know, we're getting deeper into it here, but like understanding that things like, you know, one of the big tenets is that desire causes suffering, you know, like, um, the concept that I'd feel great if I have a new car, right? Well, that's, that's not, that's not actually happiness. It's There's two different types of happiness. There's mm-hmm. temporary happiness and then there's permanent or real happiness. If I get that new car, I'm going to be happy with it six months, a year, two years, but eventually the car is going to start to break down. There's going to mm-hmm. be scratches on it and then I'll want a new car. So it's not a permanent happiness. It's a temporary happiness that you're filling a void with an external condition. Mm-hmm. And achieving enlightenment is the understanding that we don't need external circumstances in order to be happy. It's the understanding that um, if we have the right perceptions, those desires melt away. You know, the desire to have a new car or the desire to um, have children or to have a partner or to have a huge house, those desires actually drive suffering. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't recognize that they, they see it as a goal or a thing to achieve. And I personally think that personal growth and, and, you know, um, psychological well-being are far more important than materialism. Mm-hmm. Can it, I think it can also perhaps be about learning how to take 
temper how to appreciate joy as temporary yes yes and, and accepting that as such and everything is impermanent yeah. right nobody's happy 24 hours a day three you know 365 days a year Every, nobody's sad 24 hours a day 365 days a year everything is transient and impermanent yeah. and it's about living in that moment and yeah. and that's another big tenet of buddhism is not dwelling on the past not trying to think about the future but accepting the moment for what it is i can sit here and enjoy this conversation with you and everything's great you know i'm not in any danger i'm having a great conversation with a friend mm-hmm. or i could choose to sit here and have a conversation with you and think about all the things that i need to do later on today yeah. or tomorrow or think about the things that people have done to me in the past well that's going to disturb my peace right now yeah so living in the moment and recognizing you know, having a singular mind that's focused uh, solely on what's going on in that moment in time is a big key to alleviating yeah. suffering. That reminds me of one of my favorite Buddhist. Would it be a proverb? Yeah, is that what they call them, like little little anecdotes or stories that have attached morals and implications, lessons to be learned. Are they proverbs? Uh, would be a proverb. Proverb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Zen is big on those sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. This one is about a guy who's walking through the jungle. And then a tiger, bloodthirsty tiger, jumps out at him and stares him down. He starts to run, but this tiger starts to run, and he knows he's not going to outrun this tiger. So he starts climbing a tree, but then the tiger starts climbing the tree, and the guy remembers, oh, like, shit, tigers can climb. So he jumps over to a vine. And the, the tiger can't climb this vine, but it's, it's hopping from the jungle floor, swatting at him. Tigers yeah. can certainly jump. And he's, the, he's hanging tight to this vine, and, and the tiger's like just barely missing, grazing his feet. And then, uh, and then a little mouse crawls down from the top of the vine. He starts chewing the vine. Mm-hmm. He's getting through it pretty quick with his little mouse teeth, and he's like swatting at the mouse, but it can't reach it and he, he knows his time is limited this vine's going to snap but then he looks over to the left and he sees a tiny little branch come out and on the end of the branch is a nice big juicy berry so he reaches out he picks the berry and he eats it and how sweet it tasted yeah and that he was living in the moment at that yeah. moment in time, his only reality was that berry, regardless yeah. of what was going on around him. Yeah. And that's really what peace is, right? Is being able to maintain, uh, inner peace, regardless of what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. My other favorite one is, uh, if there's a solution to your problem, then there's no need to worry about it. If there's not a solution to your problem, well, then there's no point in worrying about it. Absolutely. The Dalai Lama actually said Did that. He? Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. And that's, that's basically, you know, um, in a nutshell, there's no point to worrying. Worrying only causes yourself pain. Right. Um, and again, circling back to the fact that we are the sources of our own pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can point the finger at other people from nobody can make. That's one of the things that really, you know, it gets me going is when people say you made me angry. 
Yeah. That's actually physically impossible to make someone angry. You're choosing a reaction yeah. depending on the behavior that another person is exhibiting. I can also choose to ignore it. I can mm-hmm. also choose to just smile and be happy. It's a personal choice. Nobody can do anything to actually make you angry. It's not like somebody's putting a yeah, gun yeah, to your yeah, head yeah. and saying, you have to be angry. I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. I always think that too. I mean, whether it's angry or anything else, it's like you made me feel like this. So cool. I didn't mm-hmm. make you feel like that. Like, no. If you want to come to me and say, listen, when you did this, it caused me to yes. feel like this. And that's different that's because different. Um, you're recognizing in that statement that you have a history that maybe you haven't completely resolved that certain behavior triggers, you know, uh, past experiences or mm. a reaction to past experiences. So it's about understanding that we always have a choice. And again, I'm not perfect at this, you know, like I, I make mistakes all the time. I, I get frustrated with my daughter sometimes when she doesn't listen to me, yeah. you know, but there's really no point because it, it's, you know, anger is, is really about manipulation, right? It's, it's an outward reaction to try to get a specified reaction from another individual. Mm-hmm. You're, you're using your anger in a way to try to get someone to either back off or change the way they think. And if you realize that you ultimately have no control over that other, other individual, you only have control over yourself, then anger becomes a useless emotion, right? Yeah. All it does is disturb your peace. Mm-hmm. So there's really no point in getting angry at someone. And nobody's ever changed their mind because somebody got angry at them, right? It builds resentment. Um, you know, it, it drives people away. You're far more likely to convince someone to have a different perspective if you have a calm conversation with them than if you yeah. get angry at them. Yeah. True dat. Mm-hmm. So you started a new business. Mm-hmm. I did. I started a home healthcare business offering nursing services in the Ottawa area. Yeah. Called Insight Healthcare. Um, Insight. Insight. Insight Healthcare. Insight Healthcare. So InsightHealthcare.ca. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this has nothing to do with cannabis, folks. No, nothing to no. do with cannabis Any at all. Any cannabis talk was friendly, recreational, <laughs> non-medical advice. That's right. But completely separately from that, Mark has started up Insight Healthcare. That's Tell right. Tell us about that. Uh, so a friend of mine uh, who is a registered nurse uh, has been working in the community for a few years now. And um, he identified that there was a better way to do things and that um, there's a big problem in the nursing industry right now and that nurses are severely underpaid, especially in community nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, and they're also f- overworked. So it, it, their nurses are leaving the profession in droves because they're overworked and underpaid and they're burning out. COVID only made the situation worse. It exacerbated it. Um, so we've designed our business to be a little bit different in that we offer a higher level of compensation to the nurses and a lighter workload uh, in order to um, you know, help retain the nurses and bring people back into the industry. So, you know, very few people leave their jobs because they're unhappy with their jobs. Usually they're unhappy with the circumstances or the, with the management. I mean, right. not being happy with your boss is the number one reason people leave the workplace. Yeah. So my friend approached me with this concept and, um, I, I've been in management for years now and I saw an opportunity to kind of, um, 
you know, amalgamate our expertise, uh, him in the nursing industry and me with, um, you know, my leadership experience and my business experience and provide, um, you know, nursing services in an environment that will allow the nurses to fulfill, um, you know, their, their goal of caring for other people mm -hmm. while respecting their home life, giving them a better quality of life and giving them, you know, a better wage, mm -hmm. a, a living wage. You know, the, um, the amount of money that they're compensated is, uh, frankly ridiculous, especially seeing as they need a college diploma and they have to have certification mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. And they, you know, um, a lot of companies are structured in such a way that, um, there's so much management and overhead that they're limited in the amount that they can pay their staff, which is ultimately driving people away along with, you know, having them work, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day. Yeah. Um, so we just decided from the get-go that there was an opportunity to structure it in a different way to provide just a better working environment and better quality of life for the staff. And hopefully that will translate into a higher level of care for the, the clients that we have, because if the nurses are in a good mood and they're happy mm -hmm. and they're satisfied with their job, um, you know, a higher job satisfaction translates to a better service. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the concept behind it. So we, we're going to, we offer a full range of home nursing services for people in the Ottawa area, uh, obviously specifically more geared towards senior citizens and people who require home care. Gotcha. Um, it's between 20 and 25% of the population is going to be over the age of 70 within the next few years. Yeah. And 98, Baby that's it. And 98% of senior citizens want to stay in their own homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you get older, everyone knows that, you know, bodies tend to break down and, uh, things get a little bit more complicated and you require more care. So, um, there was a huge opportunity to provide services in the area for these people that, you know, need it. So the, the limited resource isn't the, the clients, it's the nurses. Mm -hmm. It's about making sure that we create an environment where there's a high retention rate with the nurses. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's an industry with a lot of burnout. I guess, mm -hmm. yeah, um, a lot of nurses. I think there's, if I'm not mistaken, around thirty thousand nursing jobs vacant currently wow. in the country. Just, yeah. and it's not for lack of having people. It's just they're leaving the industry because they're tired of being overworked and underpaid. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about community nursing here, like nurses that work in hospitals and ERs. They get paid very well. Yeah, but um, community nurses don't make a lot more than a PSW does. Um, whereas, you know, they're, they're doing some of the same things that, that nurses in a hospital would do. They're just delivering those services in a home, right. which can be even more complicated at times because you're in an uncontrolled environment, mm -hmm. you're driving all day. Um, you know, so finding ways to make that better for the staff is really what we're focused on. Okay. So if I'm a, if I'm a, in somebody shopping, for services, yeah. How do I find you? So insidehealthcare.ca. Um, you can uh, our web page has all our contact information there. You can email us at info at insidehealthcare.ca, um, and our phone numbers on the website as well. So uh, anybody looking for home healthcare services in the Ottawa area, we're actually considering expanding to Smith Falls and Perth, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. So. Nice. 
Um, so yeah, so uh, it, the website is the best place. There's a contact form on there and all our contact information, a list of our services is on our website, which you so graciously designed. Yeah, it's a fun little project. <laughs> yeah. Made a logo, yeah. made a website. That's right. Yeah. So um, yeah, all our information is on uh, on the website. So insighthealthcare.ca. And nurses who might be listening. Nurses, there's a page for nurses as well if you're looking for work um, and you know, you're know you tired of being overworked and underpaid, please give us a call or reach out to us. And, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe there's something we can do to make your career a little bit better. Yeah. My, um, my mother-in-law, she's not a nurse, but she did work as a PSW. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and she, she used, leaned on that experience to take care of her father when, when he was aging and had Alzheimer's. Yeah. She wound up writing a book about it cause it, it oh, wow. it's something that dragged on for her for many years. I would have been tough. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of one of the main takeaways from her book, which is actually like, it's a compilate. It's sort of, it's a compilation of journal entries that she went through. Okay. Um, when she was taking care of him. And so it's, it's sort of a look back and journaling was a tool she used to sort of, um, aid her, her, her self care during, during that time and, and writing the book and, and one of the main lessons from the book is that the, you have to care for the caretaker yes, as well. Absolutely. Know? That's really one of the main themes throughout the book and, and keeping your head straight, um, which in her case can be extra hard when you're dealing with your own family member. Yes. Um, but it, it's still people and people enter these professions because they're, they're compassionate people. That's right. Um, and so care, caring for somebody, especially somebody who is ailing and somebody who's ha- having a hard time that can really take a lot out of you. It can, you know, especially when, I mean, sometimes these people are not, um, they're not always happy about their situation and, no. and, and they, they might in, in, in many different ways, um, whether they mean to or not, um, take it out on the person that's close to them, which can be their caretaker. Yeah. You know, people are in pain, they're frustrated, you know, uh, you know, if you're palliative, you know, you're facing a really terrible circumstance, pardon me. So yeah, I think it's commonplace for human beings to, to get frustrated and to take that out on other people. And the caregivers, unfortunately, a lot of the time are bear the brunt of that. So yeah, I think that's, that's fairly common and compassion burnout is, is a common thing, mm-hmm. right? And like you said, these people get into this, you don't, you don't become a nurse because you're cold and unkind, you yeah. know, people become nurses because they want to help other people. They're generally, generally compassionate people and it's about helping them r- retain that, you know, and, um, being able to put it into practice while giving them space to, to breathe and charge n- their batteries. Nobody works to live, you know, <clears throat> Uh, sorry, nobody lives to work. Everybody yeah. works to live. Yeah. So, and, and it's something that I've, I've tried to hone in my management style through my different positions, whether it be a canopy or, uh, I was a manager at Costco.ca as well. Um, and at the OPP, I was a, uh, I was a civilian, um, platoon lead is that, you know, I've seen many different leadership styles and the, the disciplinarian style, the angry style, the demanding style is effective for a business mm-hmm. in a short term. Yeah. But ultimately people leave, they get tired of being barked at, they get tired of being told what they're doing wrong. Yeah. 
And I found in my experience that people tend to work a lot harder if they genuinely like their boss because they don't want to let their boss down. You don't want to let someone down that you genuinely have respect for and Mm -hmm. that you like. So I try to, you know, I, I try to be human in my management style. And that's a big part of what we're trying to do at Insight is understanding that you know, people have careers, but it's not necessarily the priority in their lives. They have husbands, wives, children, Mm -hmm. ailing parents, you know, and all these things need to come first and, you know, creating an environment where people feel that they can come to me and, and tell me that they need time off or Mm -hmm. they have to come in late or whatever. And being receptive to that and doing everything I can to, to accommodate is ultimately going to work in the company's favor. Short term, maybe no, maybe I'll take it on the chin. That's absolutely right. Maybe, maybe it'll be tougher short term, but long term, what you're getting is retention and Mm -hmm. what you're getting is loyalty. And I would rather, you know, do what's going to maybe be more difficult for the company short term if there's going to be long-term benefits i like to play the long game yeah (laughs) well that sounds great so you're back in smith falls we got Uh, you back yep no more ohio no more ohio you here to stay i am here to stay oh good yeah absolutely glad to hear that well thank you it's good to be back yeah what do you uh, and we're out of covid now so we're back. Life's back on. It That's appear, right. It would appear. It would appear as such. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think about this town? Where are we going? What are you looking forward to? Um, I've definitely, you know, been really happy with the growth. Um, you know, this town is definitely very different from what it was 20 years ago. Not to say it was a bad place, but um, since Canopy came in and, um, you know, with COVID, there's been, there's definitely been a benefit to there being more remote work and that it's attracting more people to the community and mm-hmm. um, a greater diversity of people to the community, you know, such as you and your family and, uh, Pat over at Bowie's Mm -hmm. and his family. So it's nice to have an infusion of different perspectives and people from different places coming in. And it adds, like I said, that cultural diversity that I think years ago was maybe a little lacking in town, um, which makes it for me personally, uh, a better place to live now because there's there, you know, there there's more diversity in, in, in the people and the perspectives and the, the approaches and like the arts hub and, and the, you know, the cultural things that are taking place here in this town are, are a huge benefit. And I think, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I enjoy living here a lot more than I did 20 years ago, not to say it was terrible, but I'm a city kid, right? Yeah. I was born in Montreal, raised in Ottawa. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm used to there being, you know, a lot of culture and a lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Smith Falls is slowly growing into, you know, a small urban area where there's more diversity in that yeah. regard. There's been, I've at times almost felt overwhelmed by the amount of stuff happening. Yeah. Starting like early summer here. There's just so much stuff going on. It's just getting more and more. And more, and yeah. that's uh, by no means a complaint. I'm, I'm, no, I'm really enjoying it. Sometimes I have to take a little breather. Cause there's so much, <laughs> was, so much going say, on. I want to participate in everything, yeah. but I just can't. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's good. How about this? How about I mean, you like we covered earlier, you were employee number twenty five at Canopy. I was, yeah, and and I mean that that company gets tied into this town a lot. What's your feeling? Like you were employee twenty five, and yep. then you wound up being laid off, laid off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and they've made a lot of cuts and their stock is in the shitter. And I don't know. What do you think? What do you, what's your, what's your hot take on that whole thing? You're putting me on the spot here. Yeah. I am. <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, obviously I was disappointed when I was laid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my dream job. I was a cannabis subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. My, my whole responsibility was, uh, developing education around cannabis and evaluating the cannabis that was coming out of the place. So, you know, I loved what I did. Um, uh, you know, things change when they go from being a small business to a major corporation. Yeah. And I, under, I also understand that the needs of the business have changed. Um, have there been mistakes made in my personal opinion? Absolutely. Um, you know, nobody's perfect. And, um, the, the feel of canopy definitely changed when constellation, um, bought a portion of the company. It, yeah. it went from being, you know, kind of a family company where everybody knew each other to being, a major corporation. Um, so the whole vibe really shifted. Now, that being said, um, Canopy did a lot of good things for this town. You know, like the growth and bringing new people to the town, uh, the infusion of cash into the town, um, you know, the jobs it did create. Now, there were a lot of people that lost their jobs, but there are still a lot of people employed there. So, and the work that I was able to do there, I think, I mean, it's been almost two years since I was laid off. So mm-hmm. the bitterness has kind of subsided. Um, and I'm able to recognize that I still had an incredible opportunity, um, which I'm proud to be a part of. And that I, I was in on the ground floor of one of the largest companies in the world. And mm-hmm. I was able to do some really incredible things, which I'm grateful for. You know, I got to... I got to teach in Newfoundland. Um, Canopy got the contract to educate all of the retailers that had uh, won a uh, a retail license, and I got to go out there for a week and teach mm-hmm. them all about weed and teach a course on cannabis. I got to go to Germany and Denmark and teach our affiliates um, all about cannabis, and I've met with doctors. And um, so, you know, I've been able to contribute to the industry in a really positive way. And it's also provided me with a level of expertise as well that I was able to translate into, you know, my job in Ohio and mm-hmm. I was doing some consulting work and as well. So, um, you know, I'm proud of what we accomplished mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, things are definitely different. The stock is in the shitter and there are various reasons for that personal, in my personal opinion, which I'm going to withhold, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I try to maintain, I try to, I, I'm trying to have a positive perspective on it and, and just recognize the good things that were done with canopy. Yeah. Do you think they're going to, do you think they're going to reach a turning point where things are looking more up or the stock is better or they're hiring more people or um, what do you think that, what, what does that hinge on? Okay. Like, so you're Amer- asking, you're asking my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. So yeah. Like, is it, the, it are we going to, are we going to be winning again once if, if, it gets federally legalized in the states, or like what's what? What needs to happen? So federal legalization in the states uh, is still several years away. Yeah, I mean, don't even get me started on the status of things down there. I mean, mm-hmm. they just reversed Roe v. Wade. And I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're not getting any closer to legalizing cannabis. Yeah. Um, I think the problem that exists within the industry that affects the larger corporations, and I'm not talking about Canopy specifically. I'm talking like all the large corporations like Hexo, Canopy, uh, Tilray, you know, all the the Afria, all the bigger corporations is that um, I think that there was an underestimation of the maturity of the illicit market in Canada that 
the cannabis industry in Canada had existed for decades mm-hmm. and the, the quality of the cannabis that was coming out of, you know, quote unquote black market or illicit producers was really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of these companies didn't recognize, uh, how good the products were that were coming out of the illicit market. And there was some assumption that just because the stuff that was coming out of these big companies was legal and was tested, lab mm. tested, yeah. that it would automatically be more popular with the, with the population. But the truth is, is that, um, you know, most Canadians don't care about that. They care about the quality of it. And mm-hmm. we have the, the most um, evolved market in the world, uh, other than maybe California and Colorado. Um, you know, people who consume cannabis on a regular basis and have for decades, they, they don't care if it's been quality tested because everybody knows someone who grows it, right? right? So if you trust the person who's producing it and they're producing a higher level of quality at a competitive price, well, you know, who are you going to buy it from? You know, uh, all, quality really trumps everything else. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about quality in terms of the terpene profile, the cannabinoid content, the taste, the flavor of it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that some people who maybe weren't experienced in the market underestimated. So I think it's going to be very difficult for large companies to be able to turn it around because they built their business on growing as much as possible Mm -hmm. instead of growing the highest quality possible and shifting gears to be able to change that, um, is very expensive. And a lot of the brands have already kind of made a bad name for themselves amongst the, 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 the connoisseurs. Yeah. So people who are really into a really high quality terpene profile right now aren't buying from the large producers. They're buying from micro producers or mm-hmm. licensed or they're buying still off the illicit market. Mm-hmm. And the quality that's coming out of some of the smaller scale, like micro cultivation facilities is really, really fantastic. Yeah. And it's really tough for the larger corporations to compete on that level. Um, when you're growing cannabis, you can either grow for quantity or you can grow for quality. And it's yeah. very difficult to do both because to grow for quality, there needs to be a higher level of attention paid to the yeah. plant. And if you're growing, you know, tens of thousands of plants or, you know, like hundreds of plants per room or a greenhouse that has thousands of plants in it, it's next to impossible for the staff to spend the time with each individual plant that it needs for it to develop the quality that most high volume Canadian consumers want. Yeah. Whereas a micro cultivation facilities, you know, maybe they're, maybe their rooms, they're only producing a hundred to 200 plants at a time. So their staff are able to spend more time and pay more attention uh, to the quality of the product. And they're Mm -hmm. able to do things like, you know, little things like instead of using a machine to trim the plant, they're doing it by hand, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a big deal, you know, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like very much, but if, you know, if you're a high end consumer and you're a connoisseur, you recognize that a machine is going to knock off a lot of the trichomes because they're being tumbled. The flowers are being tumbled around in the machine. Whereas if you're hand trimming it, you're being a lot more delicate with the plant. So you're going to preserve a lot more of the terpenes, a lot more of the cannabinoids and those delicate trichomes, um, which is something that a large scale producer can't afford Mm -hmm. to do because it would take their teams weeks to, to, to trim the amount of plants that they have coming out of one room. It's just not an option. So I think it's going to be very, very, very tough for large corporations to turn it around. And I mean, 
almost all the large producers, if not all of them, are have been losing money for years. Yeah. And to to be able to turn that around and compete with the level of quality that's coming out of the micro cultivation facilities to me is is almost a pipe dream at this point. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean I, I can almost draw some parallels from to another industry that I worked in for a while, which was um like the beer industry. Mm-hmm. Is like you can't you can't get that craft market. The big breweries, they they'll a, a craft brew will get like really successful. So they'll buy it up because like we want, but then people stop drinking it. Yeah. Cause it's not, it changes. It's not the same. And anymore. you're seeing the exact same thing in the cannabis industry, you know, with, um, you know, companies like seven acres where mm-hmm. a few years ago they were known to be producing some of the best stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and, and now the product quality has slipped and mm-hmm. it's, it's really going towards, like you said, there's a direct parallel to be drawn between microbreweries and yeah. micro cultivation facilities. Yeah. Of course, the difference being like with, like you said, these, these illicit producers know what they're doing yeah. and, and making really good stuff. Whereas I think the people making beer at home are generally making very bad. <laughs> You know, homebrew beer is homebrew. terrible. It's like the best you ever hear is like, it's, well, it's not bad for homebrew, which, yeah. me, which means it's like, I can, I can drink it without, without offending my host, you know, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, whereas homegrown, it's like people are genuinely enthusiastic yeah. about it, you know, whether it's their own or somebody else's, uh, I mean, when it comes to canopy, I mean, personally, I try not to think too much. I'd love to see them succeed. Yeah. So know? would I. Because that would only mean more good things for, yeah, for this the town. town. Yep. But I feel, you know, if there's a lesson to be learned from, from Hershey, it's that we shouldn't be putting too many eggs in one basket. No, agreed. And I think that I, 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 you know, I wouldn't want them to close up shop. I know a lot of people are worried about more layoffs and will they even stay here? I'd like to, I'd like to see them succeed, yeah. but if they go, I think we're going to be fine. I agree. Um, I, I too would like to see them succeed if for nothing more than the people who still work there to yep. retain their positions yep. and the economy that it still brings into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't wish them any ill will by any means. Um, but you know what the future holds? I, I have yeah. no idea. Again, I've been out of there for almost two years now, so I don't, I don't yeah. know what the status is other than what I read in the news, like everybody else. Like one thing I can, say is I, I, before here, I lived in Kitchener and Kitchener saw a huge explosion when Blackberry moved to town Okay, and made their headquarters back when Blackberry was still like a A big deal, big deal. I like they were king above iPhone when they were, when smartphones were first becoming a thing in the late two thousands and Blackberry were, especially if you were like businessy, like you had to have a Blackberry and they had their whole like, dedicated black proprietary blackberry messaging system yeah. and stuff. Oh, and, I had one for a time. Yeah, and people liked sure. the button keyboard and, yeah. and all that shit. Um, but then, I mean, blackberry is still around today. The a, a shell of what it once was. I don't think they're even making any hardware anymore. They, they're just focused on embedded software systems yeah. for other products. But, so many people worked there and so many people flocked to work there and it was a big thing in the town. And then when they laid like 80% of the people off, 90% of the people off, everybody was worried like, Oh, this town's going to go to hell now because there's no, like all yeah. these jobs, have been, but that's not what happened at all. What happened was all these smart, talented, industrious, creative people 
were in one spot and, and, and went off like a scatter bomb, you know, and, and there, and, and planted different seeds. And all of a sudden within a couple of years, because there was all these techie people specifically, yeah. um, Kitchener Waterloo became like a major, major tech hub for like North America and was started getting referred to as Silicon Valley North and the startup capital of North America and stuff. And it, and it was all because like Blackberry imploded, but from those ashes, like so many, so many different things rose up and, and to this day, like it's, it's still flourishing Yeah, in that regard. So, well, hopefully I mean, that sort of thing happens here yeah, as well. That's, that's what know? I'm thinking. You yeah. know, if, 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 especially if we can, uh, we can all do our part to make this this a really nice, positive place to live, and not not give, you know, if it does implode, which I don't hope it does, but if it does, I think it's all about how we treat it. You know, if if we can if we can retain these talented people, um, then they're only going to do more and and, and varied awesome things create new businesses like i'm doing exactly Exactly. um, and uh, i think one of the advantages we have too is that we're we're close in close enough proximity to ottawa and there's enough remote work now uh due to covid yeah yeah i think like that that's how i pre-covid i was saying you know even when when the canopy topic would come up because pre-covid canopy was already starting to slide you know um was just saying you know even if they we're not reliant on that because we're sort of the next we're the next one on the list geographically yeah. in terms of like commuter towns yeah. and stuff. I mean, to, Carlton to place Ottawa. is basically what Canada used to be now, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and it's, it's spreading this way and it's not, I mean, it's not a great drive to Ottawa to commute every day, but it's definitely doable. I it's mean, doable. Yeah. And it's, and I think, I mean, we're in a position to attract a lot more uh, visitors and, and yeah. recreation than, than, than we, than this town was in the past. I agree. Um, but that urban sprawl, like it, it made me not worried, too worried about, about, you know, the, the future yeah. uh, of, of canopy and, and then COVID I think has only pushed that has only put that on fast forward. Yeah, I agree. There, there's also the fact that, you know, the, the town's reputation has changed a lot mm-hmm. over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's heard it referred to as like little Chicago mm-hmm. and those sorts of things, but it's really a safe community. Yeah. You know, I, I was commenting to my wife the other night that I would be hesitant to walk home from a bar if I was in Ottawa or Montreal or Toronto at one, two, three in the morning, yeah. you know, like, um, or to walk around at night. Whereas here I've, you know, there, there's never been any concern, you know, mm-hmm. I've n- never had any issues. Like I said, I grew up in the city and, you know, you, you invariably in, in the city will run into those situations where, you know, like you're, you're on your guard, but I've never been put in that position in Smith Falls. And I think the town, you know, from the reputation that it had back in the day, it's definitely not viewed that way anymore. Yeah. You know, there's still people that have been here for a long time that kind of, you know, make chuckling references to it and that sort of thing. But yeah. the reality of it is, is that we've basically become suburbia, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a really great place to live and a safe place to live and a great place to bring up your kids. So, mm-hmm. and I think more families are recognizing that, you know, like you guys and, mm-hmm. and it's evidenced by the influx of population that we've had. I mean, you guys moved here without having any relationship with canopy at all. Right. So no, none. No, I mean, that's it. knowing it, knowing it was there and, and hearing how much it was helping the town was certainly, was certainly, you know, factored into it. Yeah. Um, 
but no, it was, it was, it was the right size. It was the right, uh, we wanted to be closer to Ottawa. I'm, I'm originally from Ottawa and, yeah. and I have a lot of family there. We knew we didn't, we didn't want to be in Ottawa, mm-hmm. both for, you know, wanting to be somewhere a little smaller and tight knit and for, you know, affordability. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, it was, and, and the clincher for us was the water, just go yeah. down and check out the canal and having a drink on a patio. And it was, yeah, just, a. We felt good vibes, so we took the plunge. We're, and yeah. that's it. You know, the, those good vibes from, from what I, I wasn't here 40 years ago, but 40 years ago, mm-hmm. those good vibes weren't, you know, the the perception of yeah. the town. So yeah. it's definitely changed a lot um, and, and become, uh, you know, over the course of time, a, a much better place to live. Well, thanks for doing my podcast, Mark. Well, thanks. That was uh, that was effortless. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for you. having me on. Just a convo. Yeah, it's super always, easy. Always, is they're worried about like being nervous or well, you, you always want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, you always want to make sure you keep people interested, right? And yeah. Like, well, I think so. that's going to be really easy with this one, Mark. You're an well, interesting man. Well, thank you. I appreciate. And I it. learned some things about you today that I never knew, despite how long we've been friends and how many chats we've had. It's very. Uh, we get to really zero in and be surgical this way. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I tend to hold my cards close to my chest, yeah. so but I'm happy to talk if somebody asks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark Provo, everyone. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for tuning in, folks. And thank you so much to Mark for coming out and talking to me. And one last thank you for our season sponsors. One, two, three, Howard Kelford and Dubois, Andrus, your independent grocer, and Say Two Bakery. See you next time, Smith Falls. Love you.